The entrepreneurial bug for me came when my dad had my older brother start a lawn mowing business. I worked for him, took it over, and passed it on to our younger brother. You know, one thing that you find is a lot of people, they have a t-shirt idea and they think it's going to be this huge idea and they can sell so many. I see that a lot now. <laughs> um, and, you know, I found out pretty quickly that it was harder than I thought. It's working on yourself. Um, people talk about, with entrepreneurs, a lot of times that you got to work on the business rather than in the business. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, working on yourself so that you can develop other skills as you grow. A lot of people that get into business, they get into business because they're a technician, they do one thing, they do it well, and they know how to do that. But then as the business grows, what's needed for them is so much different. I'm Andy Golding, Partner and Chief Strategy Officer of Kripke Enterprise. I'm excited to introduce my second episode of my new podcast, Toledo Works. In these podcasts, I speak with self-made business owners from Toledo to uncover their stories of success, perseverance, and triumph. This podcast is sponsored by Kripke Enterprises. At Kripke, recycling metal is not just good for the environment, it's good for business. This podcast is produced by Stuart Media Strategy. Today, I am very excited to interview John Amato, the owner of Jupemote, a full-service screen printing, embroidery, and promotional products company. John's company has a unique goal of creating and fostering a sense of pride in the city of Toledo, and they achieve it by remembering the city's past and highlighting the new wave of excitement in what's happening today. John will join John will discuss with us and we'll dive into John's story of being a successful business while staying committed to Toledo and to Toledo's dual history of both being industrial and creative. John is married with three boys, two are twins. Welcome, John. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Andy. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate well, it. I really appreciate you being here. So um, this is the big question. Yeah. When you were a kid, did you grow up thinking that you wanted to be in the screen printing business? Oh, uh, absolutely not. Um, never crossed my mind. You know, I think like a lot of kids, I played a lot of sports when I was young. I thought I'd grow up to be a professional athlete and, uh, um, you know, really didn't think too far ahead, to be honest. And uh, um, the entrepreneurial bug for me came when... My dad had my older brother start a lawn mowing business. I worked for him, took it over, and passed it on to our younger brother. But um, you know, screen printing is an unusual industry, uh, even more so now that I know it so well. And uh, but never, never really thought twice about it. So you played sports as a kid. What sports yeah. did you play? Yeah, uh, you know, growing up, I played pretty much everything: um, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, tennis. Grew up in a tennis family, so okay. in high school I played uh, three sports. Wow. Yeah. And would you say that anything from your sports activities has helped you in being an entrepreneur? Um, you know, I, I'm not someone who believes there are any experiences that are unique to playing sports. I think there are lessons that you can learn, but it's not, um, it's not something that you can find somewhere else. I married an artist, and I think she learned a lot of those same lessons just through everything she's done with art. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed playing sports. I want my, my boys to learn primarily for the lessons that will hopefully teach them when they're older. And so you learn a lot about teamwork. Um, you, you learn about making the person next to you better. And hopefully those are things that 
are intentional, they're coached to you, uh, and you pick up as you go. Sure. Yeah. So when I hire people, I think it's important that they had some level of athleticism yeah. because people people that are easier, people that have had coaches mm -hmm. are easier to coach. And in business, it seems like people need a lot of coaching. Yeah. What, what do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, the longer I've been doing it, the more I've realized that so much of what I do in terms of developing my employees is about coaching. And I think it's a gradual learning process over time. And so um, a lot of times people jump into it and they'll tell somebody something once, they think it's gonna stick and it, it naturally doesn't. And it's something you gotta work on over time. Uh, think of creative ways to teach it, things like that. Um, but uh, it, it is, especially as an organization grows, it's something you think about more and more is how to develop your talent. And I, I believe a lot of that is coaching and we even refer to it as coaching from management sure. to uh, the people that report to them. Do, do, you, um, do you have any business coaches? Yeah, I do. Um, I work with Hussein Schauscher. Okay. Um, he, uh, I, I refer to as my CEO coach. And I'm a big believer in just personal professional development. And you just, you always um, have to be growing. And um, he's been tremendous for me in that regard. Um, I honestly um, don't see how I could run my business without him. Sometimes I question whether I'm running it or he is. And, um, you know, when things are going well, um, I talk to him. When things are going poorly, I talk to him. And he even works with some of my managers as well. What do you, what do you think um, some themes that he has helped you with? What are some of the themes that he's helped you with? Uh, I think two of the biggest, it is um, just about growth that, hey, um, uh, for a while, I was one of those guys who was like, just, I want to grow, grow, grow the business. Right. And that really just meant revenue. And um, he's someone who said to me before, you know, you're growing or you're dying, but he's given more meaning to that. And that it's not just about sales growth. Um, there, there are other ways that that has to happen. Um, the other thing would just be about um, trying to learn and get better. A lot of the conflict in business or that you might have with a coworker, um, it's, it's approaching that from a standpoint that, hey, this is an opportunity to learn and to get better. Um, and certainly with my business, my role has changed a lot in the last year. And it's something where um, the ceiling for my business is really my ceiling. How much am I able to grow so the business can continue to grow? And that's, that's something that we talk about a lot. What would, be one, what would be one nugget that you could give budding entrepreneurs or even people that have established business that, that, that you've gathered along the way and, and maybe most recently in the past year? Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it's something I, I do think um, it's working on yourself. Um, people talk about with entrepreneurs a lot of times that you got to work on the business rather than in the business. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, working on yourself so that you can develop other skills as you grow. A lot of people that get into business, they get into business because they're a technician. They do one thing and they do it well and they know how to do that. But then as the business grows, what's needed for them is so much different. And, you know, so for me specifically, I had to teach myself how to screen print. And then once I did that, I was, I was good at printing shirts. And then as I hired people, 
I was managing production, and so I was good at production, and I stayed in production longer than I should have because I was comfortable there. Sure. It was easy for me, and, and I'm out of that now, and it's requiring a lot of growth from me. And so finding opportunities, people to talk to, um, you know, consultant or mentor of some sort to help you personally grow, that's, that's really been the most valuable yeah, that's that is tough, and it's tough to uh, recognize when you need yeah. it, and and it's probably helped your business really grow. Yeah, it has. What, before we get to how it started, yeah, could you give us a little idea of the scale of your business? How many employees do you have, and whether you want to talk about revenue or not, uh, you know, can you give us some idea of the business? Yeah. Locations. Um, yeah, we have one location right now. We have a store and our print studio. It's all on Adam Street in. Uptown Toledo. We've been in that location for about six years. Prior to that, we had a small space in Perrysburg. Um, we've got 13,000 square feet. Um, right now, we've got about 35 employees, give or take okay. um, a few, depending on how you measure full time, part time. Um, we have everybody from uh, production to sales to finance to design. Um, and so it runs the gamut. Um, and uh, we did about five million last year. Wow, that's fantastic. That's yeah. that is great. So let's go back to coaching. Let's let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. I know you tell this story all the time, but you started your business yeah. because you saw an opportunity to make a T-shirt, and yeah. you finished the rest. Yeah. Well, um, it was short, it was shortly after college, um, just sitting around watching a football game with my dad and. Uh, my brothers and High State was playing, and Jim Trestle's on the sideline, um, like he is every every game at that point, at least. And uh, he's wearing a sweater vest and tie. And just casually, I say, "Hey, somebody should wear, or somebody should make a tuxedo T-shirt, but for Jim Trestle, a sweater vest T-shirt." My dad put the challenge out there for me to do it. And uh, how old were you when he did the? How old were you? I was I was a couple years out of college, maybe, so about 24. Okay, somewhere in there. Right. Um, I'd have to go back and do that math, which I'm not doing That's really okay. well in my head right now. And, um, and so I, uh, I had a sample made. It was a unique piece. It had a red V-neck body. It had a white um, portion sewn in the middle, a white sleeve. So it was a cut and sew piece, which was really hard to do domestically back then. Right. Um, and because uh, this would have been 2007, I think. And, um, and so it was made overseas. Um, that was enough to get it licensed by Ohio State. Then I did a quick production run um, to get it in time for the fall and uh, for football season. And so the first production run of the Ohio State sweater vest t-shirt was in Mexico. It was a red sweater vest t-shirt. It had their logo silkscreened on it, a tie on there as well. Right. Um, and so it really started with one t-shirt idea. We were more of a retail brand at the time and um, you know things grew so from there. Where'd you get the money to do that? How, and how much did that initial run cost? Yeah, so um, uh, I don't recall where I got all of the money to do it, but one thing that was beneficial was um, I kind of did it in phases where I got batches of t-shirts at a time. And so I think I did a little over 5,000 shirts and they cost me six to $7 a piece. Um, but I think I got 500 at a time and then 2000 and then so you had 3, the cash 000. from the exactly. sales to keep buying them. And so, um, I do remember that one of the biggest things was I had to pay in advance in royalties with the high state university. And, um, 
I, I borrowed some money from uh, an uncle to to help with that, and then um, you know I was able to pay him back that season, and then I think I borrowed money from a friend as well for that first run. So I had some uh, friends, family who were fortunate, and I was fortunate enough they could help sure. me out. And then um, it, it got the ball rolling where I got the shirts in. I was fortunate enough where I was able to sell some um, that football season. So I right. didn't have to wait another season. Right. Um, got them into some stores and was able to pay them back. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. So how does that transform to where you, not where you are today, but how, yeah. how did that go? How did you, did you think that was going to be a short-term short-term project that maybe make some quick money on and then, or did you see yourself as, Hey, this is, this might be me. Yeah. Um, you know, I was hoping that it would be one of those things that, you know, I'd hit it out of the park right away. And I thought it was a big idea. You know, one thing that you find is a lot of people, they have a t-shirt idea and they think it's going to be this huge idea and they're just going to sell so many. I see that a lot now. And, um, you know, I found out pretty quickly that it was harder than I thought. And, um, it, uh, it, you know, I had one T-shirt with one university, and very quickly I was like, well, this one T-shirt is not enough. Right. It's not enough to really be a business. And I started um, coming out with new designs that were simpler graphic uh, T-shirts um, to expand my high state line. Um, I ended up doing a gray sweater vest, uh, some youth uh, onesies, things like that, to expand the core product. Sure. Um, so it was Ohio State... Do they require everything is the sweater vest, or do they once they license you? What, how does that? Yeah, sort it's a of broader work? apparel license. Okay. Okay, and so and it's still how it is with a lot of universities. You get licensed for apparel, you're essentially approved for anything that would fall under that umbrella. So like right wow. now, we're licensed for apparel with the University of Toledo. However, hats are separate. And so uh-huh. if it's a hat, if it's headwear, we'd have to apply for a separate license. Okay. Um, and so. Um, it doesn't mean I could necessarily make anything I wanted. It meant I could create new designs, submit them for approval. Right. But I was already a licensee, so it was a little bit easier. And um, in those first four years, I um, added uh, um, licenses with uh, the University of Michigan, Toledo, That's Bowling amazing. Green. Right. Um, but it's still, it's you know, it's a retail space. It's hard to get traction. You know, we still deal with that now with our retail brand. Um, and it's, uh, you know, in hindsight, it's really not my strength. And I think I learned that in those first four years. It's not your strength because when the University of Michigan calls you and says, hey, make blue sweatshirts with an an M in the center of it yeah. is one thing. When you say, you know, I think I'm going to make a heart and a sweatshirt yeah. and green, and you then make your own design and buy your own inventory and it doesn't sell, that's got to be crushing. Yeah. Yeah, it is difficult. You know, um, one thing I tell people now um, – most people assume our retail business is the larger part of our business. It's, right. it's less than 20%. And really, if you narrow it down to our store and um, our website, it, it's even smaller than that. Um, and so it, retail is uh, selling direct to the consumer. It's so much more competitive than people realize. Everybody wants to do it, and it's so much more complicated, um, especially now with um, whether it's paid ads or selling into stores sure. and terms and well, you inventory, have to be, all those things. You have and, to be good at retail. Right. And you have to create designs that people right. want. And mm-hmm. I mean, that, it's like getting hit by lightning for right. 
either one of them, right. nonetheless of them both. Right. You had another retail store, obviously it right. you know, didn't work yeah. out. And right. that's, that's part of entrepreneurship, I think. Yeah. Was yeah. it a hard decision to close that store? Yeah, it absolutely was. Uh, we had a store at Cricket West and sure. um, we, we, you know, we closed it at the beginning of the year and um, our lease was up, I think fairly recently. Um, and we just decided to make the decision not to renew it. It wasn't an easy decision, especially because people know us for our retail brand. Right. Um, it seems like uh, having a store at Cricket West would be a no-brainer no um, and that we get a lot of people. But um, it was definitely a tough decision and it affected people's lives. And um, it's uh, but, you know, once again, retail. I insist is it, it's a it, it's a challenge. Um, it's more difficult than people think, and it's not our strength as a business. Right. It's not my strength personally, and it kind of it distracted us slightly from what we do really well, which is corporate business. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's it is hard, and so. Um, you and I, during COVID, we had a project that worked out right. really well. It yeah. was, uh, I call it a triple winner. It was my trade association yeah. won because we got our name out. We sold a mm -hmm. thousand t-shirts. Right. You guys won because business was tough during COVID. Yeah, it was. And we got to keep people, you got to keep your yep. employees working. Yep. And then with all the money that you had made it so we could just make money on it, we gave a donation of $10,000 right. to the Red Cross, which was all because of uh, your process. Right. It was great. I, I mean, I can't thank you enough. That yeah. was really awesome. Yeah. Well, really you know, awesome. I appreciate it as well, especially at that time. Nobody knew what was going on. And, right. um, you know, you really learned who people were when they did something like that and they realized that they could, you know, help other people out at the same sure. time. So it was so, neat that you did that. The um, in your corporate business, so now you have a corporate. Now you want yeah. to sell to corporations. Right. right. So corporations, the, the one downside of selling to corporations, everybody's very picky and they want to be on yeah. trend. And what right. are some of the trends today that maybe weren't around five years ago? What is it that people even want now? Yeah, you, you know, um, for us in the custom decoration space, people want something that is gonna. Um, retain its value for a long time or provide value that um, uh, because their their customers really like it, they appreciate it, um, and they're going to wear it for a long time. And that would go for their employees as well. Sometimes it's, it's a little tricky just saying to one of your employees, hey, here's a t-shirt with our logo on it. Right. Feel, you know, be grateful that we gave this to you. And if it's not something that they truly want, um, it's, it's not going to have that value. And so, you know, our challenge is finding things that will accomplish that. Um, and one of the synergies between our retail brand and the custom business is that we're on trend a little bit more than sure. some other people. And that helps us because every time we meet with a customer, they're saying, Hey, do you have any unique ideas for us? And um, a lot of times we're bringing things from our retail brand. Yeah, you can say this is exactly. what's selling. Right. That's obviously what people yeah, want. Exactly. And I think for the most part, it's simpler than uh, most people realize. I think the hard part, it's simple in that it's quality garments, it's soft, it's comfortable. And then um, the hard part would be just the design aesthetic that goes with it. So, and so that could be colors, that yeah. could be... You know, if it's pigment dyed, it could be the weight of the material, if it falls into a streetwear category, things like that. Um, we do a lot of trucker style hats right now, patches on hats. Those are two things we love to talk to customers about. 
we do embroidery on sweatshirts quite a bit, which is a little unusual, but um, you know, that's something that is trendy as well as like puff screen printing. Um, and some of those sure. are retail trends that kind of cross over from, um, you know, our retail business to custom. What is it, um, what would be an example of a time where the customer wanted something and you knew it was going to be so frigging ugly and you, you beg them not to do it. Have you had those? Like what was an example of something like that? Yeah. You know, um, I, I, there, there are one or two off the top of my head that I can think of. I don't want to get too specific about them, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, our challenge is providing value to our customers, and if they see the value in it, we're going to go with it. Um, a lot of times, it's as simple as just printing the wrong ink color on a shirt where we know it's going to it's it's not going to work ugly. right. Yeah. yeah, or somebody prints on you know four to five locations on a T-shirt, and it's just like, hey, it's just a T-shirt. You're overdoing it here. It's going to be really expensive. Right. Um, we did an item recently, and it was uh, embroidered, and it was the largest embroidery we've ever done. It was eighty thousand stitches. And what's a normal and embroidery? Normal embroidery is like. 6,000. 80,000? <laughs> yeah. What was it? What did you embroider? It, and it was, uh, it was a jacket of some sort. And okay. hey, I think, um, you know, I think it's actually going to be really cool and they're going to love it. But, you know, looking at it, I was just like, oh man, I can't believe we're doing this. And, uh, and so it's fun to see what people come up with and, and what they want and, you know, what's worth it for them. And, sure. uh, you know, we're, we're always surprised. One time I even think we, uh, we embroidered a, a stuffed, um, it, it was a dinosaur maybe of some sort. It was a stuffed animal. We embroidered on the ear and, you know, that was something that was uh, that funny to do. Sure. And so um, with the new trends, I assume that yeah. you have to constantly be buying new equipment. Yeah. And, and um, the capital to buy this equipment, like how do you, how do you um, plan on it, the, the return on the expense or um, do you push it to the salespeople since we're buying this big embroidery and you know, now yeah. we got to go big into this or yeah. how do you, how do you justify some of that? Yeah. Um, you know, we, um, we run financial reporting all the time. You know, we have our budget, we forecast out ahead to make sure capital expenditure is worthwhile. And so, um, you know, we're in a routine where, We've been bringing in a decent sized piece of equipment every uh, every year, every other year for the last, um, I don't know how many years, whether it's screen printing or embroidery related and a few other things mixed in there. Anytime we do that, um, we try to know our production numbers to, to make sure we're justified with that. And then we run projections with budgeting to make sure, to make sure our cash flow um, will will cover it. And that's one of the things that I wasn't very good at early on. I wasn't good at the accounting, the finance part of it. Um, I was dealing with customers, with creating artwork for them. I was dealing with, um, you know, printing the shirts, sourcing them, dealing with the ink and the process. Sure, all that. And that's one of the earliest things that when I found somebody, it just transformed my business to wow. take bookkeeping off my plate, accounting, things like that. And I think it's, it's been one of our strengths up to this point. And, um, it's one thing that, you know, we really pay attention to the numbers, you know, when we're making a decision like that. What's the biggest piece of equipment that you bought that has been a disaster that you wish you wouldn't have bought? And uh, what, what does it do? The, well, um, 
We bought um, a wide format printer. And so okay. it's a vinyl printer where you can do wall graphics, you can do vehicle graphics, things like that. And we had a customer at the time. We were printing a lot for them. And um, I don't think I've used it in six months. Mm. And when I used it six months ago, I think I'd used it to print, uh, I, I used it to print stickers for, with my kid's name on it. So he would have it at school, you know? Right. And uh, um, uh, it's, it's really, we got, we, we probably broke even on it. It was one of those goofy things, but now we're just not doing with anything with it. So it's not super valuable for us in that way. Um, and it's just, it's also one of those industries where it's really easy to outsource that production we've learned. Right. And that's something I didn't know at the time and really didn't, um, wasn't great at that until I hired somebody about a year ago. And so, um, once Tony came on board, it's just we haven't we haven't had to use it. So, what's the best piece of equipment you bought so far? Um, I think it would be our embroidery machines. You know, we were um, screen print primarily, and that's what people knew us for. But um, embroidery added a lot of diversity to our business. Um, p- customers come to us for uh, to put their brand on, you know, whatever items they have. And embroidery and screen print are so closely related. So it was a way to grow the business um, fairly easily. I was fortunate enough to make a really good hire um, uh, as I was making that decision. Um, but adding embroidery to the business, is it, it was a catalyst for growth for us. That's great. And yeah. has there been a time in your business cycle that you have been like, holy shit, I, I'm not sure... This is going to, I'm not sure any of this is going to work. And what was it? How'd you get over yeah. it? And as long as that wasn't yesterday, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, the last the last three years have been, I think, really difficult. And last year, I think, was more difficult than a lot of people uh, give it credit for. But, you know, really early on, it was actually when I um, learned to screen print was... Um, that was uh, one that stands out the most. I bought some used equipment um, on Craigslist. I mm-hmm. brought it over, and um, I was trying to use his old equipment and it, the the bulbs on the exposure unit and the emulsion, which you used to make the screens, were they weren't good anymore, and I didn't know it. And I didn't think I was going to learn how to burn a screen even before I could print a screen or to print a shirt. And I remember uh, I was sitting at, um, and I was sitting at my girlfriend's house, my wife now, and I was sitting in a chair, and I was just like, I was stunned. I was like, I'm not going to figure this out. This isn't going to work. And my transition into screen printing was really out of necessity. It's because uh, Coach Tressel was leaving in Ohio State. I knew, um, you know, I wasn't making it there, and it was kind of this is my last shot. And it was a bit of a sense of desperation at the time. I, I think I was 30 years old. Um, I was, you know, working part-time jobs while getting things started up to then. Right. And uh, you know, I, there was a lot of pressure on me to make it work. And um, eventually I figured it out. Um, but there have been a lot of little things along the way. Um, when we moved into our building, that was a, that was a major um, expense for us. It was a big jump. Um, and you know, financially that got really tight for a little while. Was it what you was, so a lot of entrepreneurs think about, they want to move into a new building, they want to expand 
and um, you budgeted whatever you budgeted for that building. Yeah. Um, was your budget correct and the runway to get things going correct? No. And my, how far? <laughs> yeah. My, uh, um, you know, you learn so much over the years. And fortunately, I've stayed alive so that, you know, I'm sure, learning more. Sure, of course, right. And uh, our budget was like 60% off on that first move. And at the time, that's a lot. That was, I mean, that's a lot in any project. It was a small budget for that entire project. And I look back at it now and it's, it's not as significant, but at the time it was a lot. And, you know, we were really lucky to get through. Um, and it's also, um, it is really attractive to have your own building and um, say you own it and things like that. But there's so much extra work that goes into owning it on your own. And if you're releasing, and I learned that along the way. And um, we're actually, uh, um, we signed a purchase agreement to, actually, to move again. And so I'm going through it again. And that experience is really valuable for me at this point. Um, because, you know, I've gone through the process once before. I'm having conversations with my contractor saying, hey, um, the budget needs to be on. Right. And um, I need to know when we're looking at things, you know, 10 times over to make sure we're right here. So, um, you know, it's is it public where you're going. Uh, I don't think it is, but it um, okay. I don't think it's a problem to say anything yet. We're going to Monroe Street, which is still in uptown. OK, um, it's really about four or five blocks away from where we bigger? are now. Um, it's twice the size in oh, terms man. of square footage, and there's some land attached to it, so we'd be able to expand if we needed to. Okay. Um, and it's um, it was important for us to stay downtown. We really um, we believe in Toledo, and we believe in the opportunities that um, Toledo has provided us. Um, and uh, so it was important that when it was time for us to move, we made every I made every effort I could to stay downtown, and. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to find this building. Um, for us, um, the the way the space is laid out is important because of our equipment gets pretty big. You know, some of our machines, it's kind of like you need 22 feet in diameter. Wow. Um, the screen printers. That exactly. Yeah. And the dryer is 28 feet long, you know, things like that. And so if you've got um, supports holding up the roof yeah. in different areas or smaller chopped up rooms. That's one issue we have now. We have a lot of smaller rooms within our building. So this building is actually, um, it's a wide open span for us. So it's ideal for a production space. Um, we are fortunate as well in that we don't have to do uh, anything super fancy. Right. You know, you think of your space out back here, that's kind of what we work in in production. It's just big, it's wide open, it's got a clean floor and well you know, lit. Yeah, well right. lit and you're good to go. And so, um, you know, it works out really well from, from that standpoint. Are you well. getting that anxiety that you had about this building or is this cool sailing? Double the size. Totally smooth sailing. I didn't, it's, no, it's not smooth sailing. How about your I think, wife? How does yeah. your wife feel about that you are uh, doubling the I, size I, of the business? Uh, you know, uh, my wife is wonderful, and one of the reasons she's so wonderful is that she has a lot of faith in me. She trusts me, and, uh, you know, I think even if it didn't work out, she'd still be there for me. And sure. so, um, you know, I'm really lucky in, in that way. And... Um, and so, uh, honestly, I don't talk to her that much about it. I also don't want to bring that stress home to her. I don't think that's fair of me. 
um, cause ultimately it's, you know, it's my decision and, um, you know, I couldn't do it without her support. I know that, but, um, you know, I try to keep that separate as much as possible. Just, you know, it is a lot do of stress. You, do but. you think that being, you're, you have gotten to the level where you can keep it separate? Whereas when you were younger and a younger entrepreneur, yeah. it was all, everything was just kind of like one. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when you do start your own business and run it, um, I very much think of my business as a family business and whether they're in it or not, or whether I tell her about everything I do or not, she's involved because, you know, Hey, the alarm goes off at eight o'clock at night and we're putting the kids to bed right? and I have to check it out. I got to drop things and go, you know, she's involved just, you know, because I did start it. It is my business and it is broader than just me. You know, the family is involved. You know, my boys like going on the weekends. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, there are events that we sell at where they show up to and she's had to, you know, help out in little ways here and there. And so no matter what we do, you know, she's involved and, um, uh, you know, I, I do enjoy that aspect of it. So that's awesome. And is the, how is the banking process now for, uh, I'm assuming yeah. that you're going to be getting some traditional yeah. financing for this yeah. building. Yeah. Is the, how is the process uh, bank wise? We're doing an SBA uh, 504. Okay. And tell we, me a little bit about that. I can't get into specifics about that really, but like if that's the, that's the program that we're with and it's through Krogan bank. We've known John Cruz for a really long time. Okay. We used him when he was at Huntington. Um, he, um, he came out when we were in Perrysburg. So it's been a really long time that we've been working with him and, um, there's, just an immense level of trust with him and the relation, you know, he works really hard for us. So it's been good. And with, um, with the SBA program, um, you know, Krogan's up for some of it, but the SBA, you know, covers a good portion as well. And, um, uh, you know, I can't get too specific about the SBA 504 just cause I don't know it, but you know, John recommended it to us and I trust him and that's the route we're going. It's uh, it is a pretty sizable loan for us because we're purchasing the building, um, the land that's around it as well, um, and then we're renovating the building. And so it, it's a big project. Um, we've been dialing in the numbers with him as well. You know, we've been uh, setting cash aside so we have a, the down payment for a while now because I've been working on this for some time, and um, it's one of those things where. <laughs> I've been making decisions and taking risks for a long time now, 10 years, 10 plus years. And um, I worry about them a lot. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress related to them. And to your decisions? Yeah, to the decisions. Okay, and sure. And how I should make the decision, what the right decision is. And I think a couple things happen. I think over time you start to trust yourself a little bit more. And um, you know, a $100,000 loan, um, versus, you know, a $500,000 loan. Um, well, you, ha you have to have, sometimes it helps to have that $100,000 loan in order to take on that half a million dollar loan or whatever it is. And, it scales. And you kind of, it scales with Yeah, you. and you stair step your way to that scale. Right. And, um, and I also think like, I, I'm not in this just thinking everything is perfect everything's going to go well. I'm going, I'm saying, Hey, what's going to go wrong here so I can plan for it. Okay. And what do I need to be prepared for? What am I not thinking of? 
And so I talk to a lot of people about it, whether it's my banker, whether it's my CEO coach or people that work with me or somebody else who's been through it. Um, because at the end of the day, real estate's not my business. It's not something I'm great at, but I do think this is the right opportunity. And that's a, you know, it's a risk at the end of the day. I'm more comfortable with it because of the chances that I've taken in the past and succeeded with. Um, and I think that I built that skill set up over time. Um, and I do think I have an appropriate amount of, you know, anxiety related to it that, hey, this could go wrong. So let's make sure I'm doing the right things. Uh, fortunately, we're in a business where we're still small enough and that sales can have a big impact. And so, you know, I know I can, I can you know, my hedge against the building to a, to a big degree is, all right, let's, let's sell some more. Right. Let's, let's increase our revenue or you know, something like that can go a long way. How do you like managing a sales team? Um, you know, uh, one of the things about starting a business is I really, um, I didn't plan for much. And one of the things I didn't plan for was managing people. And so from the HR standpoint, the management leadership standpoint, I didn't think about it that much. And... Um, uh, sometimes that surprises people, but you know, I, you know, I was just kind of going and then that's, that's how I, I was. And so I, um, have no formal training in sales. Um, and, um, actually a few months ago, I started making cold calls for the first time in my career. Okay. And so with my sales team, it's right, brutal. it is, it is, but it's actually not that bad. Um, once you get used to it and it's just one of those things that you need to do. And so, uh, from a sales perspective, a, a lot of our business is built, was built on relationships. It was built on referrals, um, people that I knew that I got to meet in the community or somebody that we worked with who said, Hey, um, who, you know, who can I introduce you to? Things like that. And so, um, and it still is. That's where we get a lot of our business. And um, I approach sales from um, kind of a, uh, an ads, social media perspective, where um, we, we do Google ads, so you're trying to Facebook collect ads. leads. You want yeah. people to react to what you're doing right. and collect leads, and then you will take those yes. cold leads and turn them into warm. Or you take, yeah. Yeah. So that's if how somebody's you filling it. out our contact form, it's a little bit warmer. Right. And we do some SEO as well. So okay. we're doing, you know, uh, digital marketing. I would say in that way, and we've done a pretty good job of that. And then the second side would be through our sales reps from a more traditional standpoint. And, um, um, and they're reaching out to people that they know some, of, um, you know, Tony, who I mentioned earlier, he had a book, book of business before he came on board. Um, and you know, we let them take care of some people that, you know, fill out the contact form, things like that. And, you know, our challenge now is, um, reaching out to more people, letting them know what we do. There's a lot of confusion in our business about what are we, are we right. a retail brand or do we do custom work? And a lot, I, I think it's helped us in some ways, but it's also hindered us. And we're seeing that more and more where a lot of businesses just go, oh, you're too expensive. And they don't realize that, hey, if you're printing 200 shirts, we're going to get really, really competitive. And so right. from a sales management standpoint, um, I don't have a lot of um, experience that I can offer my sales reps in um, you know traditional strategy. The one thing I think that 
um, I'm good at and have tried to pass down and, and talk to my sales reps a lot about um, is just it's providing value to our customers and building that relationship. So it's making sure that you respond quickly, that you follow up, that you communicate clearly so that they understand the expectations of the project that we're working on. Um, little things like that just go a long way. Um, so much of what we do is relationship-based with our customers. And um, I think at the end of the day, people want to work with people who they like. Sure, of course. And um, uh, and if you can be the most likable person, you know, they're, they're going to work with you. And, and, and being likable uh, also relates to responding quickly, um, you know, creating a, a proof, providing unique ideas, uh, delivering a quality product, all these other things as well. Um, I did move one of our sales reps into a sales manager position towards the end of last year. And so um, ultimately it's his responsibility. I'm technically not managing sales, but at the owner, I do think, you know, I'm part of that strategy. I'm part of the day-to-day with sales because um, I need to move into more of a sales role myself. And um, you How's know, it working so far with that person? Uh, it, it's working out well. I mean, I can't, I can't handle all the little things that my sales reps need or my account managers need. And so he's a resource for them. And uh, it's, it's, a bigger, it's a bigger role than at a lot of other organizations because there's, no, uh, there's virtually no groundwork laid where he has to implement systems and processes and, and develop consistency on how everyone um, enters an order, communicates right. to production, or talks to a customer follows up with the customer, things like that. And so he's, you know, you know, that process is critical. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Right, right. So. so it almost sounds like the, you know, when you didn't renew your lease, maybe that was a s- strategic as well. So people didn't stop thinking of you as retail because that isn't where the money's made. Yeah. You know, it, um, it, it was a handful of things. And I think, um, a big part of it, though, is it, um, it it was a distraction from our core business. We couldn't focus the time and the energy and the manpower we needed to to really make it a great product. And um, and the other thing we learned is that our customers really like coming downtown. And I so, agree with that. I yeah, liked coming downtown. I felt right. like coming downtown. There was something more. There was something specialer, or there was yeah. something more special about going to the Adam Street store yeah. than going to the Cricket West store. I absolutely right. felt that way. Yeah, yeah. It's a great space. Um, I think people look for excuses to come downtown. I agree with that too. And so um, that'll, um, you know, that's proven true for us, and it surprised us. We'd have people from Sylvania that would drive past Cricket West and go downtown, and so. You feel like you're at the factory right. and there's more option or yeah. sales or something right. yep. there. Will you have retail at your new location? Yeah, we will. Yeah. And and what does the future, what do you see as the future uh, for Jupe Mode? And, and uh, is it new equipment or is it, what is the future? Yeah, I mean, the building is going to be a big move for us. Hopefully we're there next year. Um, and, you know, I hope... Um, the, the future is more of what we've seen so far. It will be more equipment. It will be more capacity to help our customers with screen print, embroidery, and promo products. And uh, I do think there is some potential on the retail side as well to build that out. Um, you know, we're building our team right now. We're growing up a lot as an organization. And that's a real challenge that I think if you haven't been through that, um, it, it 
it's something that it's hard to plan for and it's um, it, it's a lot of responsibility and, and pressure to put on your employees as well. And so we're trying our best to, to do that in the right way. I mean, you've been through it here. Sure. Um, so you can relate to that, but not everybody has. And um, you have to make a lot of tough decisions. You have to, um, you know, grow up in a lot of ways. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, going from 6,000 square feet to 13,000 square feet yeah. to 26,000 square feet. Yeah. It was actually 1,500 uh, yeah. to 13,000. I mean, yeah. that's in, a, big, in a very yeah. short period of time is, uh, that's, that's incredible growth. And, you know, I think of Jube Mode as the, the Toledo t-shirt. I yeah. mean, that's, what, yeah, what, that, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, well, I really appreciate you being here and, um, this is great. Your yeah. business is on fire and I'm so excited to see what the future lies for you. Yeah. Thanks. We look up to Kripke a lot. And so, you know, we appreciate this relationship and it's been fun since you guys have moved here. We've gotten to see it and it is, you know, um, we take a lot of inspiration from local businesses that are doing the same thing. And it's, it's nice to be able to talk to somebody who's been through it. Um, because you can relate to somebody and, and learn a lot from them. So this is a, this is a good experience for cool. me as well. Well, I'm glad this worked out. Thanks, yeah. man. Thanks yeah, for being thank here. You. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, good to be here. Yep.